we're starting a new series. Short series, but a new series. Um, I'll be with you today, obviously. Uh, and then next week in, in this series, I've titled it uh, A Church United. We'll be working out of Ephesians for the next two weeks. Um, but take a look at the image up there. You can see we've got, um, oh, look at that. We've got our little new church logo there in the corner. That looks good. It does. <laughs> and we've got uh, a picture of, uh, 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 for the young crowd and those who have not been anywhere else, that's a church. I don't know if you can tell because it doesn't look like Keystone Church. Keystone does not look like a church. Um, particularly if you're driving on Peckway Drive, like around the back way into Keystone, and you're seeing this from the road, I don't know if it looks like a warehouse or a distribution center or a big box store. It, I'll tell you, it doesn't look like a church, does it? There's no steeple. There's no stained glass. I tell people I'm okay with that. I am. I think that Keystone is more about it being a people than it being a place, in other words. Keystone is more about being the people than it is about being the place. In fact, when we do our newcomers class, I tell them if, if they're looking for a place to make their home, they can probably find better goods and services at other places. In other words, if they're looking for entertainment, Keystone might not be the best place for entertainment. There are more entertaining places to go than, than Keystone. We've got Netflix, right? You, we've got water parks. There are more places for you to have fun and be entertained than there is uh, outside Keystone than maybe inside Keystone. Keystone's not the place for that. Our worship team is so good. I love our worship team. I really do. I think that they might agree that there's probably other churches where you can find a better worship team where everyone on staff is a professional musician. And that's all they do. So if you're looking for that kind of place, you can find it somewhere else. Pastor Keith is a gifted preacher. But you can literally find the best preaching from the best preachers who have ever walked the earth inside your pocket. And you can listen to them whenever is convenient for you. And so if you're just looking for good preaching, you can probably find that in another place. But what I tell the newcomers class is that you can find those things other places. What you can't find is Keystone's people. You can't find Keystone's people anywhere else. And so two weeks ago, I was at Hershey Mennonite Church preaching. I'm friends with their senior pastor, and uh, they needed to have someone come and fill the pulpit, and I was happy to fill it. But it's a unique experience preaching at a different church, not our people. And I'll explain. Two, there were two reasons why it was different. First, they only have one service, um, which I'm not used to. Um, normally, if I am preaching, uh, I get two tries. Uh, if I swing and whiff on the first one, not a big deal. I just ask Keith, Keith, you make sure you record that second one. He's like, right on, brother. I got you. It's first difference. You're wondering how, how'd it go? I missed my entire conclusion uh, as I preached. Um, just at the very end, I forgot the last page. I'm starting to close in prayer, and about halfway through my prayer, I'm realizing I should not be praying right now. <laughs> I still have a lot more to say, but it's too late. God, I just trust that you have said all that you need to say, and I'll back away when I sat down. It was okay. might not have been a home run, uh, <laughs> but I got on base. Second thing that was different, it's a small church probably 50, 60 people 
in attendance, and I wasn't used to that. Um, I could tell you, it was kind of nice. Like, like, I could make eye contact with every single person in the auditorium, and, it, like, it wasn't creepy at all. <laughs> like, you could see everyone, and we interacted, and they laughed at all of my jokes. I, I loved being a part of it, and they did a couple things that were, were fun. Like, they passed a, a microphone around for announcements, so anyone who had an announcement about something, you could pass around, and you could say what was happening. Same thing with prayer requests. They passed around a microphone so that everyone could uh, share a prayer request and then the church prayed. Everyone knew each other there and I liked that. Now there are some limitations of why we can't do that here. In other words, we can't fit everyone who would call Keystone home inside this room in one service. That's why we have to have two. And so automatically, you don't, I don't know, maybe you do know everyone in first service, but I'm guessing you don't. I'm guessing you don't even know everyone in this service and we don't have enough time to pass around a microphone uh, to everyone and have everyone get to share prayer requests, everyone get to share announcements. What we try to do is create other environments where it might feel more like a small church. In other words, care group ministries, ABFs, a place where you're able to interact and, and know everybody. But I figure since I have uh, the next 35 minutes, uh, I'm going to do as best as I can to have you get to know each other maybe just a little bit more. And so I'm going to ask a few questions. And during these questions, um, it's going to be one of those you have to raise your hand type interactions. I think these questions are all right. Um, but you know, raise your hand and then look around. Uh, and you can, even though we're not talking, you can still might, you might learn something. Uh, we'll do the first question. It's the easiest one uh, in some ways. Uh, what school district do you live in? Now, we're not going to all shout them out at the same time. All right? All right. We've got a pattern here. All right. If you live in Peck, if you live, not if you go to Peckway Valley, but if you live in Peckway Valley School District, raise your hand. There's our Peckway Valley School District. And look around, okay? Figure out. Oh, that's interesting. I would have thought more, but okay. Interesting. Where are our Conestoga Valley CV, CV families? Oh, there's like a band of CV right in the middle here. Good. How about LS, Lampeter Strasburg? Ooh, it was actually probably more in first service. That's interesting. Octorera. <laughs> Octorera, that's Chester County, so they were a little rowdier over there. Uh, Solanco. Yeah, there was one first service. He says, you're not alone. There was one first service, the Bylers. Uh, how about Penn Matter? Ooh, a couple. Hempfield? One, uh, Mannheim Central, oh, two, Mannheim Township, Dequino, I like it. I thought you were Warwick. There is somebody from Warwick, I think. Warwick? Not this service. All right, that might be it. Did I miss any? Coatesville, Garden Spot, oh, Garden Spot. I always forget Garden Spot. <laughs> Garden Spot. Oh, look at that. Yeah, I like it. Cool. All right, next question. Lancaster County native or transplant? Hmm. To be a Lancaster County native, you have to be born and raised in Lancaster. I don't care if you came here like two days after you were born, you are a transplant. <laughs> Lancaster County natives born and raised represent? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Transplants. Transplants. I love that you're here. I do. Because I understand how hard it is for you to crack the Lancaster County bubble. 
I understand that all Lancaster County natives think that they are somehow better than you because they were born here. They're not. Uh, so thank you for <laughs> transplants. I like it. This one's great. Amish or English? <laughs> now, you should know what I mean by Amish or English. Uh, Amish. If you are Amish, you are, or were Amish, uh, your parents were Amish or your grandparents were Amish, you're Amish in my eyes. <laughs> if you, your parents, or your grandparents were Amish, you're Amish. All right? Amish. Look at that. <laughs> How interesting that the Amish tend to congregate on the sides. <laughs> you guys are welcome here. You don't need to sit on the exterior. <laughs> I'm guessing the rest are English. All right, a little pers personally. Uh, early risers, raise your hand. Yeah. Would you believe that there were more in first service? <laughs> Night owls. All right, pretty split evenly. Introverts, raise your hand. Good job. Extroverts. Yeah, there they are waving. Perfect. Uh, fix it yourself. Hire someone. Fix it yourself. Yeah, all right. I'm looking around. Yeah, mostly guys, but that's okay. Ladies, or no, sorry. Uh, hire someone. Hire someone. I'm in this category. Hire someone. Yeah, I'd rather do it right the first time. Math or English, where are the math nerds? Perfect. Bookworm, uh, English. Good. I like it. Uh, hunters or fishers? Uh, I understand that some of you are both. You got to pick one. And, and some of you are neither. Don't raise your hand at all. Hunters. Fishers. Yeah, I'm doubly so. I like it. Uh, who would rather read a book than watch a movie? Read a book? You can only pick one. Who would rather watch the movie? Yeah, movies have audio and video. Like, you can see it. It's much better. This is the last one. Maybe the most important, right? Fords. Yep, that's, the, that's what I expected. Yep, Chevys. Wow. Did you know there's actually a third category? I don't care. This is a dumb question. I don't know why people make this into a big deal. Yeah, third category for sure. <laughs> now, why would I do that? Well, I think it's fun to get to know each other. I think it's fun to be able to learn. Now, we should probably know more than just those things. That might be a good icebreaker, a good start. But it's nice to know who else at Keystone is like you. There are other, that's one of the benefits of a big church. Benefits of a big church, there are other people like you here. Other people share similar interests, come from a similar background, have something in common. There are people like you here. And one of the benefits of, of there also being a large church is that there are people who are not like you here who didn't have your same kind of upbringing, same kind of background. And so I think it's good to know that there are people like you here and good that there are people not like you here. Now I should say that putting together that list of questions was more difficult than you might imagine. You understand what I'm, what I'm saying is that sometimes I don't know if I can ask that because I, I don't want to offend and so I understand. Some of those questions, honestly, I, I might have flirted with the line. Some of you were like, I don't want anyone to know. And, and so you didn't raise your hand. And imagine if I would have, what, what could I have asked? And you'd been like, don't you ask that. Don't ask. And, and if, if I did ask, and for, if I had some ability to force you to 
reveal yourself, you'd be like, this is my nightmare. I don't want anyone to know. I didn't ask uh, age categories because I thought that'd be like, "Mm," some people might feel a little self-conscious about uh, which age group they fall into. I didn't ask, but I would love to know where are Democrats, don't raise your hand, where are Democrats at? Where are Republicans at? I understand that there are probably some people who are closeted one or the other. I'm guessing I know which one uh, would, would be true more of Keystone. But I can tell you there are more of the others at Keystone. What if I had asked how many people have ever battled cancer or lost a spouse or lost a child? How many people have dealt with depression or anxiety? How many people right now are going through a season that is insanely difficult in their marriage, have a troubled kid? How many people would feel comfortable raising their hand in that case? I'm guessing it'd be a different type of environment if I was asking those questions and asking everyone to raise their hands. Because each one of those times we raise our hand, it's almost like an identity, that Ford and Chevy category. Some people have insane pride when it comes to which category they belong to. And it can change depending upon which group they're in. Both groups can be proud of who they are. But some groups don't carry pride, they carry shame, they carry a stigma that we're embarrassed. The text that we have this morning is going to deal with this kind of group identity and the kind of shame that can separate us and allow us to feel unloved and unknown. And so I want to um, pray for us before we begin, and then I'll invite you to turn to our section of scripture this morning. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word that we have within it, truths that are ultimate reality. Truths that should shape every facet of our life. They become the lens through which we see every interaction, every decision. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see the truth clearly in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. That would transform the way that we think about ourselves that it would transform the way that we think about others and that this new understanding would create a type of relationship with you and with one another that would reflect and show the world what kind of God you're like. And I pray that you would give me uh, all that I need to be able to share it. I pray, Lord, that you would give us as a church all that we need to be able to hear it and that your spirit would be at work to transform us, encourage us, convict us, and help us to reflect you more clearly. For that in Jesus' name, amen. If you would, open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Paul is going to address uh, two different types of people, which for us in 2019 might be like, I don't know what a Gentile is. Uh, I I know that Jews exist, but Gentiles, that's not a word. Um, There would have been two ethnic groups, two different bloodlines, and God is going to have something to say to both of these groups of people. Uh, And for our purposes this morning, it's important to know that they would have been 
groups that may or may not have been proud to admit in front of everyone else where they came from. And God has a word for us. And as we read it, I'd encourage you to pay attention to the before picture uh, and the after picture here as we read Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. All right, you can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Verse 13. But now, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law and its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So, now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens, along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Now, for this section, we're going to look at, in some ways, what does it say, what does it mean, why does it matter, but I'll follow the, the categories, uh, first of all, by looking at the before picture. Paul is painting a picture, and he wants us to see what it looked like beforehand, and so he's asking the Gentiles, remember, don't forget, there was a time before today when things were different, and I want you to go back, and I want you to remember what things were like before the but now. And so he describes, Gentiles, remember what you were like. 
And I'm going to invite you, as, as if you're a believer, whether you've been a believer for 50 years or 50 days, I want you to remember back. What was it like for you before? And so, what words does Paul use to describe the state of the Gentiles before coming to Christ? He uses the phrase, you are outsiders. I don't know that there is a more painful position to be in than an outsider. I don't know, maybe you have been an outsider before. An outsider doesn't feel like they're welcome. They're on the outside. There's something going on on the inside, and there's a wall, maybe sometimes a literal wall, that keeps people out. I have a very small example of it, but I can tell you, just, I'll tell it. So there used to be a restaurant in Leola called Mozzie's. I don't know if anyone ate it. I'm thinking like 15 years ago. Um, it was a nice restaurant. It still might be one of the nicer restaurants I've been to uh, and one of the best meals I ever had. Uh, and I thought, this is great. I want to go back. And it was probably a couple of years between I had been at Mozzie's the first time uh, and the second time. And I can tell you that something happened between Mozzie's the first time and Mozzie's the second time. Mozzie's went from being a nice place to being a nicer-than-I-can-afford type place. And so when I walk in, the music didn't come to a screeching stop. No one actually, like, looked down their nose at me, but I just walked in and, and froze because I'm like, I don't know if I belong here. It seemed far nicer. Uh, it, it seemed like not the kind of place that I was going to feel comfortable in. And so I turned around and, and, and left. I don't know if they actually were excluding me, if they actually would have said, I'm sorry, we don't serve you here. We won't serve you here. Or if they would have put a, a sports jacket around me and would have said, you can come sit in the corner or what they would have said. But I didn't wait to find out. Uh, in that moment, I felt like I don't belong here. I felt like that when I walked into Abercrombie and Fitch when I was in high school. I'm like, mm, I don't belong here. I was okay with feeling like an outsider in some situations, but there... You have been rejected. You know what it feels like to be an outsider. One of the most painful things you can go through is to have someone to say, I don't want you in my life anymore. You're an outsider. You were once in, now you are out. And Paul is reminding the Gentiles, you guys were once outsiders. You once didn't have all of the benefits of being an insider. And he goes on to describe that it's not just that they were outsiders, but that they were actually scorned. The, the phrase uncircumcised heathens, this, insert your own racial slur here, but the Jews would have looked down on, not only were the Gentiles outsiders, but they were actually rejected by the Jews. The Jews would use this type of slur to castigate and to despise. Jews were proud of their circumcision, the fact that they kept the religious law, and they felt like that justified their ability to exclude people. And so he asked the Gentiles, remember when you were scorned by those who were proud of their heritage or their bloodline? And it just wasn't that the Jews um, rejected the Gentiles. This passage refers to the fact that God himself is rejecting the Gentiles. These Gentiles lived without God and without hope. If by some miracle the Gentiles would have found a way to make friends with the Jews... Invite them over for pool parties and have uh, 
pies that get brought over and try to warm up to each other. I don't know what people do to get close with their neighbors. If the Gentiles had somehow made friends with the Jews, their situation would have only been marginally better because God would have rejected the Gentiles. They didn't know his promises. They didn't know him. They were without God and without hope. Now, some of you, as you're trying to think back on what was, do you remember your before picture? I know some of you probably do. Because of your background, you can remember just how far you were away from Christ. I'm guessing because of Keystone's makeup, there are probably a lot of people who feel like, I I don't know, Brandon, like that was a long time ago. I don't know what my life was like back then, how bad it actually was. In fact, I I don't know that I was really that far away from God. I always felt like I was kind of near to God, and I do believe that I crossed from death to life. But, I mean, regardless of your background, whether you were near to God or far from God before you came to God, Paul has a word for all of us in what Christ has done for us, which is the next section, the work of Christ. But now, but now is the hinge on which the door swings that opens a whole new world for the Gentiles. But now would have been the two sweetest words for the Gentiles to hear. But now means something's different. It used to be something else, but now something's different. And so Paul wants to recount for the Gentiles, but now, remember now, but now you have been united. That's a key word. You have been united with Christ. But now you have been brought near. You once were outsiders, but now you have been brought near. This but now is the good news for the Gentile because it changes everything for them. You once were this, but now you're that. First Peter 2.10 says something in the effect of, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so Paul wants these Gentiles to remember what has Christ done. Christ has united Gentiles to himself. Christ has brought them near. Verse 14, Christ himself has brought peace to us united Jews and Gentiles into one people. Both groups, once separate, once would have felt scorn or pride when viewing the other people, are now brought together in peace. How did he do this? How did God bring peace to both Jews and Gentiles? People who would have been enemies at one point, now brought together. Verse 15, he did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and its regulations. What separated the Jews and Gentiles? What was one of the things that separated Jews and Gentiles? The Jews thought they were so much better than those wicked Gentiles. And it was their pride that separated them. Jews felt they were superior They belonged to God's special people. They had a special title, a special privilege, and they felt that they were superior. And it gave them reason to count other people inferior. And what happens is the gospel comes in and it it eliminates any reason for boasting. 
when God's plan for redemption is through grace, we have no grounds for boasting in our works. And so when Jesus comes and he preaches a message of grace to the Jews, the gospel breaks the back of their Jewish pride. The gospel breaks the back of our evangelical pride. There's no room to feel better than or superior to anyone when it comes to the church because Jesus has ended the system of law. He's abolished the command. Any way that we could feel better about ourselves because we are somehow more morally beneficial to the world than other people is, is false. We're not better. The gospel breaks the back of our boastful pride. But here's the thing. For the Gentiles, the gospel also lifts their head. The gospel lifts the head of those who are soaking in remorse and shame. It says to those who don't belong to the right group of people, I know you and I love for you and it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been or who you are, your new identity in Christ, that you are a child of God, trumps all other labels. There's something to say amen about. It's not that the labels in the church don't exist. There are still black and white people in a church. There's still male and female in the church. There's still, I'm not going to point, young and old people in the church. These categories don't change. There's still married and single people. These are labels that exist. What the gospel does is that it eliminates any reason for you to feel superior because you belong to any one of those categories. Whether you were near to God or far from God, you have zero reason to boast. And what that does is that gives us the opportunity to come together. The ground around the cross is level ground. So when we gather, we are all on the same level. When God, uh, when Jesus reconciles us, he, d- he does two things that I'll draw our attention to. <clears throat> he reconciles us to God and he reconciles us to one another. As a gospel-centered church, we emphasize the former a whole lot more. We say that Jesus Christ reconciles us to God By dying on the cross, we would say the gospel is this. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary death. He rose in victory over Satan's sin and death. And if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, he will forgive our sin and credit to us his righteousness and we will be able to have a relationship with God. That's what we mean when we say that Jesus reconciles sinners to God. Jesus makes a way for us to have a right relationship with God. We preach that message. We love it. Here's the problem with it. It's not the full story. It's not the end of the story. In an individualistic culture where it's primarily about me, 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 that's a, that's a message of good news. God saves me. Yeah, that's true. But he saves a people. Out of the world, Jews, Gentiles, God creates one new, not individual, God creates one new family. And so I say the gospel has longer legs than just you being reunited and reconciled to God. God also reconciles us to one another. 
Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups, both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. Jesus Christ crushes what would have once separated us and now unites us as one family, whether we were far from him or near from him. Now, all of us, depending upon, not or I should say, not depending upon any other factor, we all can come to God. And so, with that in mind, he, he in some ways, paints the vision. This is what the church ought to be like. If, if our theology that we just described is true, and it is, what should now be true of us as a church, of this group that God has reconciled? And so he makes some concluding statements. He says, so now you Gentiles are no longer citizens. And I'm going to say in the church, we are no longer strangers and foreigners. We shouldn't be anyway. We shouldn't be strangers and foreigners if God has united us regardless of our background, regardless of our income, regardless of whatever factor or whatever category you once found to be your source of pride or source of shame. God has united us into one body and so there should be no longer any room for strangers and foreigners. We all in some ways have the same bloodline. The only bloodline, though, that matters is Christ's. And so in that way, we are not strangers and foreigners. In fact, he gets a little bit more specific. He says, we're citizens of God's people and members of God's family. If what we said is true, that Jesus is reconciling all different types of people from all different backgrounds into one new family, there is one new family. There is one people of God. And so as a church, we should feel that we are citizens of God's people. Citizens, citizenship, you grant that and you understand it's kind of like a nation. There are certain privileges, certain protections, certain rights that come from being a citizen. But I would say, out of those two categories, the sweeter news is to be a part of a member of God's family. Here's what I mean. The 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, do you know what they did? 13th Amendment freed the slaves. 14th made them free citizens, made them citizens. The 15th gave them the opportunity to vote. That was good news. It was the right thing to do. Free the slaves. Make them citizens full members of, fully recognized by the government, citizens, give them the opportunity to vote. That was 13, 14, 15, that was a good stride. But how many African Americans would say that they feel like they're a family in the United States, maybe in the 60s? Now, as long as segregation, as long as Jim Crow was still in the fact, they might have said, yeah, we're citizens, but we don't feel like family. And our goal is to move beyond just citizenship into family. And so if you're a Christian, you are part of the citizenship, the nation of God. But I would say if you're a Christian, you should also feel like your family. Family feels different. I'm guessing you treat your family members differently than you treat maybe your neighbors. 
Your family is different, and we should treat each other like family. Fourth category, built on the Bible and centered on Christ. And he says, built on the apostles and the prophets. One of the reasons that Keystone Church makes a big deal out of preaching from the Bible is because we believe it is our foundation for everything. I saw uh, an image this week that reminded me of something that we did when we first built this building. Before we put the carpet down in here, do you remember, some of you were here, and you remember writing down the scriptures on, on the pavement before we covered it, on the cement, because we wanted to have the word of God be the foundation that we stood on. And so underneath your carpet, underneath the seat that you're at, and I know, I know the verse that's right here because I wrote it down. I know the verse that's right here because I wrote it down. The Bible is our foundation. And Christ is our cornerstone. One of the reasons we say we're a Christ-centered church or a gospel-centered church is because we believe that Christ should be the stone to which all of us must align. We want to be shaped to be more like Christ, to align with Christ. And so as the church, built on the foundations of the scriptures, centered on Christ, we are joined together. I want Keystone to be joined together. Some of the things on this list are aspirational. Some of them are currently true. This one I would want you to think, do I, do I really feel like I have joined Keystone? Do I really feel like I'm connected to Keystone? It's very possible for you to, in some ways, attend Keystone, but not necessarily be a part of Keystone. In some ways, this church, if we grasp our theology, we would realize that we are now joined together as family as we are becoming, I put, becoming more like Christ. This one says, becoming the temple of God. People would come to the temple to meet with God and to see God and to know God. And in some ways, the church becomes the temple anytime sinners come to meet with God. If sinners want to know what God is like, they could come to the temple or they could come to the people of God. And as a church, we are an imperfect temple right now because we are becoming. We are in the process of becoming more like Christ. We're not a temple yet. We are becoming more of a temple to represent God to the world. And so this was the vision that Paul provides for his church in Ephesus. This is what ought to be true if your theology is what it needs to be. And so I'm thinking, we're not there. What are some steps that we can take? First step. Take off your mask. If you want to put into practice the truths that we just proclaimed, that in Christ, your previous identity, your previous categories don't matter compared to our title of child of God. And if there's no room for pride and there's no room for shame, why would we not take our mask off? Why would we not let people know this is who we are? I know there are people at Keystone who are wondering, is this a place where I can be myself? Is this a place where people, if they knew who I really was, would still receive me, still welcome me? Or would they look down their nose in 
disgust at me and make me feel like an outsider. One of the things that we saw at the summit, when we heard from the summit people, is that they said it seemed like God was working in powerful ways at Keystone. People just said how powerful the week was and how much God had done in their life and people didn't get specific with the summit crowd. And we thought, "Ah, that's interesting. They don't necessarily feel safe to really be known here. There were a handful of people who stood up and shared, openly exposed what was going on in their heart and mind, and we celebrated them, but there were also a group of people who were like, I don't know if they would celebrate me. In order for us to be a church that in some ways believes the gospel, that all of our previous identities don't mean anything compared to our our identity in Christ, it means that we should be known for who we really are and make room for people who might not be like us. It's going to require us on both accounts to remember that the gospel breaks the back of our boastful pride and the gospel lifts the head of our remorseful shame. That the gospel provides level ground and that both as we confess and as we receive, we are giving testimony to what theology we believe. And I encourage you for you, take off your mask. Let us know your story. We'd love to love you in it. Open your circle. Uh, sometimes our company can probably display a glitch in our theology. What, what might be true about your underlying beliefs if everyone looked like you? If everyone talked like you, you would think, oh, he must spend a lot of time with people who are like him. I wonder if that's because he doesn't like being around people who aren't. Our theology would say that we are family, but if there are people in our church that we try to avoid, would we really say that we're family? If there are people in the church that we scorn or look down upon or talk about nasty behind their back, would we really say that we're family? This is probably an area where I feel most convicted because if you looked at my circle of friends, it is a hall of mirrors. Everywhere I turn, everyone looks just like me, talks just like me, looks just like me. (laughs) And I don't think that that's really representing God's kingdom. There's not much diversity in my world. My friends look like an episode of Friends, not very diverse. All of my coworkers are Christians. It's by design, but still. I spend probably more time with my biological family than my spiritual family. And I don't know that that's the right thing. And so for me, the first step is I gotta find a way to make room for people who don't look like me. I gotta find, I gotta find room for people who have more tattoos than I do. I don't have any tattoos. So having some, For you, if you've got a lot of tattoos, you might need to make room for people without tattoos. You might need to make room for people with more gray hair than you. I'm talking to you, young adults. Make room for people with more gray hair in your life. And if you've got gray hair, you should probably make room for people who don't have as much gray hair in your life or as much melanin or maybe more melanin. Find room to make uh, make room for people who might be a little bit more different than you. And the prayer might just be, 
God, open, open up the doors and open up windows and open up avenues for me to have new people in my life. Open your circle. Love your church family. Love your church family. I know you guys love your biological families. You do, because you're probably from Lancaster County and everyone is related to you and you spend an inordinate amount of time with your biological family. We would say in the church that the spiritual family trumps even your status in a biological family. Love your family means love your church family. When I asked the questions beforehand, I would have loved to know who, who in here has gone through a season of cancer or a season of depression or a season of grief, losing a spouse or losing a child? Who has walked that path before that we might be able to encourage the other people at Keystone who are going through those same seasons? We need that, that first group to take their mask off so that we know that they're here and we need that second group to know that they're currently struggling with it and we want the two groups to love each other. God has given us all of the resources we need to be able to bear one another's burdens. I know that there are people at Keystone who are currently feeling like, I'm not sure if this is a place where I can belong because I'm not sure if this is the kind of church that is going to love me. They might believe, yeah, I believe Jesus loves me and embraces me, but I'm not sure if Keystone loves me and embraces me. Based upon what I've done in the past, or like, I don't know, my, mess, my past is pretty messy. Or looking forward, my future looks like it's going to be pretty messy. I'm not sure if Keystone can really love me. I'm not sure if they can handle me. I'm a little crazy. And I'm not sure if they're going to actually welcome me if they get to know me. I don't know if they're going to be able to accept my family. It is wild, and our kids are crazy. I don't know if Keystone could love me. And the way that we, we ought to, we can, but we've got to prove it. And then we prove it by loving one another. The reason that we send out those emails uh, that mark milestones is because we want you to know what's going on in the life of Keystone. Some people are getting married. Some people are having kids. And the reason we send out prayer requests is because we want you to know what's going on in the family. As we find out who's sick, who's having surgery, who's in need, who needs help, we want the church to love the church. And so a step for you might be, how can I be part of it? Maybe that first step is just reading your email so that you know what's happening. Maybe it is... Um, be joining a small group where you can commit to a small group of people who are going to care for one another. The last one, and this is where we'll close. Commit to the local church. Commit to the local church. This is my invitation for you to join the Keystone family. Keystone's a local church. And in some ways, what we want to do is we want to re represent God's universal church. That's why we think that diversity is something that we should pursue. We believe that God's people represent all nations, language, tongues, peoples, backgrounds. In some ways, we want a firm representation of that as we are able in our demographics locally. And maybe for this step, commit to the local church or to use language from Jeff last week to sink your life to that of the local church. Maybe that, what that means is that you join, you join us. You become a member at Keystone. If this is a family where you want to be a part of, or maybe you need to be a part of, I would say join the church. 
I think that we're going to see in the years to come that the church is going to be a huge home for people who crave a family. As the nuclear family begins to decay, as families begin to scatter across the nations, as we find people, spouses passing away, who's going to care for them? Their biological families are scattered, no longer around. Who is going to embrace them? Who's going to welcome them if they have no biological family? I think people are going to want to crave the church. And I would invite you, you can be a part of this family. You can join us. And I would say if it's not the kind of church that you want to be a part of, I would encourage you to find that church. I'm not saying we don't want you, but we would say that joining the church is an important part of you maturing in your faith. And if it's not going to be Keystone, find another church. Join that one. Commit to it. I'm going to quote a section um, that, that, that's a little dicey, and I waffled back and forth on whether to include it, but ever since I read it, I was haunted by it, and I thought, if I don't share it, I don't know who will. It comes from an author, Mark Dever, pastor down in D.C. area. He's written a book, um, What is a Healthy Church? Um, in the early section of this book, he has a section that I'm going to read here, and I'm going to invite you to listen with gracious ears and ask the Spirit to maybe temper what he says or to convict in what he says. But he says this, and he knows what he's saying is intense because that's how he begins. Now what follows is a little intense, but it's important. The relationship between our membership in the universal church and our membership in the local church is a lot like the relationship between the righteousness God gives us through faith and the actual righteousness, actual practice of righteousness in our daily lives. Explains a little bit more. When we become Christians by faith, God declares us righteous. Done and done. Yet, we are still called to actively be righteous. A person who happily goes on living in unrighteousness, calls into question whether he ever possessed Christ's righteousness in the first place. So too it is with those who refuse to commit themselves to the local church. Committing to a local church is the natural outcome. It confirms what Christ has done. If you have no interest in actually committing yourself to an actual group of gospel-believing, Bible-teaching Christians, you might question whether you belong to the body of Christ at all. Now, for me to temper that, Keystone is not a church that says that membership is what is required for salvation. Not true. You do not need to be a member of a church in order to be saved. We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is by faith and faith alone in Christ through grace that we are saved, not by membership or sacrament or whatever other thing you want to add to it. What we're saying is, is that we think that the local church is important in you maturing and belonging to a church, a part of your process of becoming more and more like Christ. And we want to encourage you 
in that journey to become more like Christ. The truth is our elders care for members differently than we care for attendees. We don't believe that God has called Keystone's elders to care for every possible Christian around the globe. We believe that God has given the elders at Keystone the responsibility to care for the Christians at Keystone. And sometimes we just don't know who's a attendee and who is drifting in and out. And the only way that we know is when we have that kind of commitment where someone says, this is my church. This is my church. I'm going to belong here. Uh, growing up, we had neighbor kids and we kind of had an open door policy with all of our neighbors where we were able to go into anybody else's home. We were able to eat their food. We were able to swim in their pool. We were able to just walk in without even knocking. We were always welcome. Keystone, every, the, our doors will always be open. People will always be welcome to come in through these doors. But in our neighborhood at night when it got dark, we all went back to our own homes and in our own homes, we had parents who cared for us differently than they cared for neighbor kids. Neighbor kids, very welcome. But our parents treated their own kids differently than they would have treated a neighbor kid. In some ways, Keystone is, is like that. And our invitation is we want you to be part of family. We don't want you to just be a neighbor kid. We want you to be part of our family. And so I'm going to close by reading a section from Charles Spurgeon. He says something almost the same uh, as Mark Dever, but he comes about it in a little bit of a different way. He says this, Give yourself to the church. You who are members of the church have not found it perfect. And if you're new to Keystone, you're like, no, Keystone seems to be a perfect church. Give us a little bit of time before you make that assessment because he says, I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not, that is, found it perfect. He says, if I had never joined a church until I found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I would have spoiled it. For it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should as speedily as possible also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone. And then the testimony for God would be lost to the world. As I've already said, the church is faulty, but that is no excuse for you not joining it. If you are the Lord's, or if you are the Lord's, nor need your own faults keep you back. For the church is not an institution for perfect people. It is a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace. Who though they are saved are still sinners and need all the help they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of their fellow believers. The church is the nursery for God's weak children where they are nourished and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. I wish my brother Spurgeon would have said, it's the dearest people instead of place, but I'll let it slide because it's Spurgeon. Still, imperfect as it is, the church is the dearest place on earth to us. I want that to be true of us at Keystone. 
I want it to be true for the world. They would come and find in their weary souls that it finds rest among God's people. Next week, we'll look at Ephesians chapter four, figure out how can we do this as a church? Would you join me in praying? Father, we love you and we love what you are doing in us as individuals. You have saved us and you are shaping us to become more like Christ as individuals. I pray, Lord, too, that you would do that for us as a body. That as a local church, we would begin to reflect more and more of your character, would grow brighter and brighter in our witness, would be built stronger and truer, more in line with Christ, that we would love one another, care for one another, because we know that you have united us as a family. Lord, let us be the family you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.